Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello, everybody, and thank you for that outstanding standing ovation. It is the end of the NBA season. The Milwaukee Bucks are the NBA champions. Congratulations to Giannis, to Chris Middleton, to Drew Holiday, PJ Tucker. I mean, just seeing his face made me happy. Coach Bud and the whole Bucks organization for an amazing NBA Finals run, which is NBA playoffs run, defeating the Phoenix Suns 4 2. Landon, the last time we recorded, the Suns were up 2-0. And that completely flipped, as we really didn't see, even though we gave it a chance to happen. But regardless, congratulations to the Bucks. On this podcast, you're going to hear our takeaways from that series. And then Landon tweeted out a mailbag on Twitter asking you guys for some of the topics you wanted us to discuss on this podcast, which we will then do so after our finals breakdown and implications going into next season. So... Landon, as always, what are your thoughts? So I think, if I remember correctly, I gave the Bucks a 10% chance to come back in the series in the last podcast. It's about I, right. don't, I don't feel great about that prediction now, but I really did at the time, because if we somehow flash back a week, and I know that's really hard to do for all of us because our minds don't work like that, but when we were in that position and the Suns were up 2-0, those two games were dominant performances by the Phoenix offense and really solid help defense that prevented Giannis from doing as much damage as he's been doing in these four games that he just destroyed everything in his path. So, what changed? Chris Paul was just atrocious in these last few games. And he wasn't amazing in the first two either while he well, has game had... one he was but yeah sorry no like i i meant like in totality because he had a bunch of turnovers in those games and right he just didn't look like himself and then the last four he had one or two decent to good performances but you were not getting the guy that you needed if you were a Suns fan to carry you home after those two wins so let's look at devin booker he had similarly underwhelming performances. And it's all capped off by the DeAndre Ayton egg that he laid last night when he started out the game one for eight and just never looked back. He and he finished with, you know, really poor shooting and low points, and it just didn't look like the DeAndre Ayton we've gotten used to. And then on the other side, you have Giannis putting on one of the best finals performances we've seen in our lifetime and all time as well, based on some feedback I've been hearing in the NBA community. And then when you look at Chris Middleton, he is validated as a number two option on a championship team. So in totality, everything we've seen over this last week has made it so that I have to apologize to Giannis and the Bucks as a whole because I have doubted them the whole way. Do I think I was wrong for doubting them? No. But they evolved, and they got better. They added the right pieces, and congrats to them. See, here's the thing. You know, 10%, I thought at the time, was a little low, and I, I think I said that on air. You did. But I gave yeah. him a 25% chance, which, if you think about it, it's pretty low. But let's look back at the games. I mean, game three, we both said that we thought the Bucks were going to win, which they did in convincing fashion. But game four was the Suns to win, and they completely choked it away at the end. All the credit in the world to the Bucks, but the Suns were abysmal. That was a game that they should have won. Game five, a game again that they probably should have won, and they made some key mistakes and blew that game, where I thought really, like, you know, I, I was feeling good down the stretch. The Suns were making a comeback. So it, it wasn't a situation where the series completely flipped and the Bucks just 
show that they were always the better team, but they made the right plays at the right moments. Props to Drew Holiday for having an incredible game five, for Chris Middleton turning it around, from Giannis just being dominant. But look, you look down the stretch, and, and Devin Booker was missing key shots, making dumb fouls, or what should have been fouls and weren't called fouls. We all remember game five, and then Chris Paul turning the ball over, which he doesn't really do normally. So it's not that the Bucks just completely took over and and showed that they were 100% the better team, but they took advantage in the right moments. The biggest moment for me was that Drew Holiday steal and oop to Giannis at the end of game five. That was an all-time defensive play by by Drew. A huge pickup for the Bucs in the offseason that everyone doubted. And he comes in and kind of sucked for like multiple games in the series. Like he really was a volume shooter and not getting buckets, which is not a good combination. But with his, you know, sleek defense where he just kind of squirms around every single pick thrown his way and anticipates exactly where the ball handler is going to dribble to, gets there before him, is a brick wall. The guy runs into him and he just takes the ball. He just, you could really sense his impact on the series. And in that play, he was in the right spot at the right time. Booker drove to the paint on P.J. Tucker, couldn't get a shot off, turns around. And Drew just takes it away and then throws one of the craziest passes you're going to see when he could have just ran out the time and gotten fouled. No, he went big, flipped it up to Giannis, and then Chris Paul makes a really idiotic mental error, which is really strange to say. But CP3 kind of blew it by making a three-point game into a four-point game with that foul. He did. He did. And, and to your point, Drew Holiday, I mean, even in the closeout game, was four of 19. The only game he really played well offensively, at least from a shooting standpoint, was game five. But look at the makeup of the Bucks. Drew Holiday is the best on-ball defender on that team. Giannis is the best overall defender because league. of his... No, on that team. I know, but in the league? Oh, in the league. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, overall, Giannis is the best defender because of all those amazing blocks. But those are all him... LeBron-esking and coming back into plays and making up for it. But on-ball defense, he may be the best in the league. He is certainly the best on his team. Drew Holiday is also the best passer on his team and is probably the smartest player on the team. He He's he's really, like, Giannis is he their is. leader, yeah. but Drew Holiday is also a leader. Agreed. And what you saw was that while he didn't shoot well, I mean, he clearly made a huge difference from last year to this year. He's guarding the Sun's most important players each and every possession, whether it's Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Those are the guys you need to stop. And he was essential the whole series, even though he didn't shoot well. His personality is like a more happy Kawhi. He similarly just kind of floats along and goes on to the next play without focusing too much on past mistakes, as can be seen by his repeated like four of 20 shooting. Um, But he similarly does not let outside noise affect him. And you feel like he's not getting in his own head and he's just a machine and moving on and making the tough, gritty plays when his team needs him. So yeah, big props to him. We always talk about it, but we saw his greatness in that Pelicans versus Blazers series in 2018. And while he didn't reach that same level throughout a series at all in these playoffs, he did it in specific games. And that was enough to power the Bucks to victories. Right. And overall, I'm giving Chris Middleton probably like a B, B minus in the series. But I mean, in clutch yeah. moments when he needed him, he was an A plus. And that's what matters. Look, with all of these with all these champions walking around thinking they're hot stuff, as they should, I don't mean to be a buzzkill, but there are still problems with all of these players and problems with that team and the coach and everything. They will be justified in once you win a title, you're you don't have to apologize to anyone. You can do whatever you want and nobody can take that away from you. But the fact of the matter is Drew Holiday is not an amazing fit with Middleton and Giannis. 
Middleton still has issues dribbling and getting into some games because he's mostly a catch and shoot guy. And I don't even, I mean, Giannis, it's the free throw thing, but he, he did well with that in the game six, but that's going to come back next season as it always does. So this team is not the best finals team we've ever seen. It's not even close to be completely honest. And next season, despite Chris Middleton's rise to greatness, I would be concerned with him as a second option on a championship team if they're playing against a fully healthy big three in Brooklyn or LeBron and Anthony Davis instead of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. It's crazy to already think about. Like <laughs> Giannis is at Chick-fil-A today getting a 50-piece, 50-piece, <laughs> yep. uh, whatever, whatever. Chicken uh, nugget, man. Yeah, it's good it, was, stuff. it was his breakfast sandwiches or whatever. Those are fire, by the way. But seriously, it's like, were we not significantly more confident in the Lakers last year repeating right after they won? I mean, I was. I, I look was at the Bucks team and say, like, I don't think they're getting out of the East. And Agreed. Yeah, they just won the title. But, I mean, the Nets are going to come back healthy. I mean, who knows what the Sixers are going to do? They could make moves that put them in a position to really compete. There's a lot of really good teams in the East. And then the West, of course, is is stacked. So, yeah, there's there are problems with this Bucks team. They were a little bit lucky to play the Nets without their second and third best players, but that's just yep. how it went. And yeah, they, they, they beat a Suns team that also got to the finals by playing teams with injuries. Maybe they would have done it anyway. I'm not doubting the Suns, but Chris Paul didn't show up in the finals and this was not a super team that they beat. So while it's an amazing title run and they deserve all the props in the world, it's not going to be easy coming back next year and, and repeating at all. Right. And, you know, I, I will go back and say some nice stuff about Middleton because I, I did kind of leave him out there to dry just now. So here's why Middleton is maybe a top 15, 17 player after those playoffs. When you need him to hit an elbow jumper with the game on the line, there is pretty much nothing you can do to defend it. And he's so consistent with it that it's it's one of those go-to shots that every team needs because when you when you're in a position that requires just a half court set to get a guy open with 5 seconds left and you don't want to just rely on Giannis sitting there and dribbling and trying to bowl over the other team's center and power forward at the same time that's that kind of play and that kind of player that just lets you get that shot off. No matter what hand is in your face, no matter how tall the guy is, whether they double, you can get it off. And he hit a very similar one against Miami in game one to close out that game, fading to his right, just beautiful. So he definitely deserves a ton of props. And like I said, he's moving up my player rankings heading into next year. And I, I think I said this on either one or two podcasts ago, but... And and again, no offense to Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, but Chris Middleton's probably the closest thing in offensive creation of, of jump shots that we have to Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. Because when Chris Middleton gets to his spot in the mid-range, he's pretty automatic and you can't block it. Like Jimmy Butler is a better player than Chris Middleton, but he can't do that. Paul George Correct. is more of a three-point specialist. He can't do that. So Chris Middleton's this like three and D, not really three and D, but the the three like no, a he's small forward wing position who can create his own shots. And when he gets hot, you, you can't really guard him. Here's why I actually think Middleton is an elite three and D player rather than what Kawhi and KD are. I agree with all, everything you just said, but I actually agree to the extent that I agree with the three and D part that you said and took that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, like I said earlier, is not an amazing dribbler and is not amazing at facing up and getting to the rack, which KD and Kawhi both have in their games and rely on frequently. Middleton is almost exclusively a jump shooter off of catch and shoot or post fades or, you know, whatever, like one dribble pull-ups. It's a very different archetype that we don't really see in star players because it's so hard to be a star while just you know, getting catch and shoots. It's like Clay Thompson, but yeah, a little more from mid range. It's, it's really interesting. 
And it just so happens that it worked this year. And yeah, like I, Landon, you said it on Twitter. The last two teams that have won the title have not been amazing three point shooting teams. Yep. Even though this this whole push since the Steph Curry era began is you need as many floor spacers as possible. Well, you need the best players on the court too, and the Bucks showed that because. I mean, you you look down the rosters, and the Suns are a deeper team, but the Bucks are top-heavy. They have the better big three. They have the better big two. They have the better big one. And that, that showed sure. up because their guys, especially in game five, all three Bucks players, what are they average? They combined for 70 or 80 points together. They all had 20-plus. Right. And that was the difference in the game. It's true. Um, all right. Let's talk about CP3. Are you sad for him? Oh, I'm... I'm heartbroken. <laughs> this would have been the perfect ending. I wouldn't I I would have not been mad if he decided to retire after winning. I know that's crazy, but I mean the man's 36. This would have been a great farewell. But I it just looks like Chris Paul's never gonna win one unless he leaves now. Because really, are the are the Suns gonna win a title in the next five years? No. No. They would have to get a free agent or trade, you know, Mikhail Mikhail Bridges and I don't know. Yeah, special. Campaign, by the way, now campaigns a free agent. Yeah, they, special special we'll shout out to to Kendrick Perkins, the man, the myth, the legend, who said the Phoenix Suns after Game Two are a dynasty, and then Stephen A. and Max Kellerman jumped down his throat saying, "Well, hold on, they didn't even win this year." And guess what? Right as he said that, they lost four straight. So they are definitely not a dynasty, and will not be a dynasty with this core ever. Yeah, Perkins says some pretty wild things. He definitely doesn't deserve shout outs even when he's when he's right because he's wrong so often. It's like Barclays Carry the hell on. Yeah, exactly. Um but anyways, I was not sad for Chris Paul like a lot of people were posting on Twitter because they had a great chance and he got his shot and he didn't deliver. I'm not saying he was bad. I'm not saying that he you know, let the world down or anything. All I'm saying is that he did not factually win the title. And because of that, I don't feel too bad. He had his chance. He was there. He could have put them over the edge and he just didn't. And that doesn't make him any less of a superstar all time and, you know, pushing the top 30 all time and all of that stuff. He's still doing that and he's still amazing. But he doesn't deserve the pity because he was playing and he could have done things differently. Definitely. And I get that. I'm, I'm still as an NBA fan, as a super fan, knowing that Chris Paul, who is a top 50 player that this game's ever seen and a top 10 point guard ever. Like it, it's, it's sad knowing that this may have been his best chance. He's up 2-0. He's two games away. It probably will be his best chance, unless he goes to the Lakers and LeBron and AD are healthy. But, I mean, it was right there. And, and he did not deserve to win after game two with how he played. But it's still sad knowing that he's probably never going to win one. But, you know, that's how it goes. I wonder, so if he wins one with the Lakers next year, for instance, or maybe in two years, does that count? Like when you're when you're debating Chris Paul versus Isaiah Thomas, are you like, oh, Isaiah Thomas has two rings and CP3 has one? It, it depends the role that he plays. Of course, in my but opinion. but like you know, still, even if he's the third banana on the LeBron AD boat and he averages fifteen and nine in the finals, yeah, it counts. I'd say it counts. Yeah. All right, that's fair. Because he's still he's still playing an important role. He's playing good defense. He's a leader. 15 and 9 knowing he's starting. I mean, unless you're telling me that like it would it would mean a lot. It still would matter if Carmelo Anthony wins a title, but if Carmelo Anthony goes to the Lakers and is the 7th man and puts up 5 points a game, does that matter when you're weighing his accolades exactly. against Scottie Pippen? Right. No, hell no. But if you're starting and you're averaging 15 and 9 and you're playing with a 38-year-old LeBron who's not superhuman. I'm guessing he's not going to put up 40, 10, and 10 two years from now in the finals. Then yes, it, it definitely matters. But you still have to weigh it given where he is and, and how that affects him, which we will talk about later, kind of championships altogether. But I want to move right. on to Devin Booker and make a bold proclamation that maybe you'll agree with, maybe you won't. 
But after watching this series, I, I still think Devin Booker is an amazing player. He's a top 15, top 20 player, probably closer to top 15. But I like I do not think Devin Booker will ever be the best player on a championship team. Remember, I had him behind Mitchell and Trey Young. So I don't know if either of those guys will be the best player ever on a championship. I team. agree. I, what all I'm saying is that I think Booker is incredible, but he does have some strong variations from game to game in his play. Right, and like, that's it's, a little scary. And, and and more than that, like it's it's not that I don't think Devin Booker's scoring is enough or that he's too inconsistent. It's that the type of player that Devin Booker is, that Donovan Mitchell is, less so Trey Young. I think he actually has more of a chance of being able to be the leader. Like I don't I don't trust those guys to just to carry the offense, not just not from a scoring perspective, but from a creation, from everything. I don't know if I can rely on those guys and believe in them to carry and will their team to a title. I mean you also have to look at defensively. Like Devin Booker is is in foul trouble almost every game. I mean, of course he's going to fix that, point. but he's not a good defender. Yeah, and Donovan Mitchell is not much better of a defender. He's a little bit better. Uh, I don't know about that. He's not that much better of a defender. I don't trust. I mean, Jamal Murray cooked him every play. Like it, it's not. He's, they're not getting the pivotal big play block or stop. Like they're not. It's still a superstar league, and I have not seen enough from those guys to say they can be the best player. Not a one A one B, but one versus a two like a Giannis Middleton. I don't think they can do that. Well, usually to be a number one, like a true number one, you got to be top seven, eight. I mean, it's it's pretty rare. I don't know. Look back on trying to think of teams, but you can be the 15th best player in the league and play with another, like, like, let's say. I mean, there are a few examples, but I'm just saying like throughout the history of the league, most of them are top five to seven. I mean, well, there you go. That, I'll twist this. That's my point. There, he's not that. He won't be that. Right. Which is why he won't win. Agreed. Right. I well, so it's, he it's could tough. he could be that in you know five years once KD and Harden and everyone's gone. He could. Maybe he just put up I forty in multiple finals games. Like he's ridiculous. They His scoring ability is insane. Yeah, I, I just I'm sticking with my statement. He won't be the best player. He'll have to join another team, or they'll have to land a big fish, a Kevin Durant, yeah, somebody like no, that. No, I still agree with you. I I completely agree. All I'm saying is that he he might still be a top five to seven player. Not that he's going to win a chip as that, but sure. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the Suns, I still think. They're young guys, Aiton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. I love all of them. I think they're going to be really good players. And yep. I do think the Suns have a really bright, bright future, especially if Chris Paul leaves. They're ready to take that step now. I think Bridges, um, Johnson, and Aiton would all have a really good opportunity to to step up even more. And and that may be the best option for the Suns. Like, look, if Chris Paul is going to leave, you don't want to bring in another guy. You want to see what you got. You want to see if you have to pay these guys. So, Right. I don't know. Maybe that's the best option. Like letting Chris Paul walk. He's making $45 million. So let's reflect back over the crazy last two years and just think about some different things. I'll start. We can alternate. If you can't think of anything, it's fine since I'm putting you on the spot. But I'm going to start with this. What does this champion say about the bubble last year, if anything? To me, it says absolutely nothing, and I really, I really hate when people think that because the Bucks swept the Heat this year, last year was a fluke. It's just not the case. Drew Holiday, like, PJ Tucker, Forbes Portis. I mean, the changes in addition to the internal development of Middleton and Giannis is truly astounding for those teams to be compared. You, you just. It's not, if you're an average NBA fan, you're typically not thinking about all the intricacies that go into preparing for a playoff series. You have scouting, you have just general game planning, you have player improvement, development, you have practice, you have a different mentality each year. And like you said, the Bucks went over, they went through a roster overhaul. 
They had four or five guys added to their key playoff rotation they did not have last year. Also, the Heat were much worse. People are saying Jimmy Butler's not even a top 15 player anymore, even though last year they were saying, is he a top five player? So as point. much as the Bucs got better, the Heat got worse, played worse. The Bucs game planned better. They executed better. The Heat went through a couple, couple minor changes. The Bucs went through a lot of changes. And let's not forget, this is real. The A revenge factor is real. Agreed. Having the added incentive and passion and knowing that you need to beat this team and the pressure is on, in my opinion, is very, very real. And all of those things Multiple accumulated examples. into the Bucks completely flipping the switch. Cavs, Warriors, 15-16. Cleveland yep. comes back, wins. Spurs, Heat, 13-14. Was 13 a fluke? I mean, back. really? Yeah, Correct. it's a good question. It's like Ray Allen shot was amazing, but it wasn't a fluke the Heat won. Correct. So, yeah, that, that that's a really bad point that people try to make. Whatever. I, I completely agree with you on all that. Follow-up question. Rank the finals teams from the last four years. So we have... At their, okay, let me, let me repeat the question. Rank the finals teams from the last four years at their playoff peaks. Playoff peaks. Because obviously... The Heat were injured in the finals. Chris Paul was injured in the finals. So Wait, you want finals winners or teams? So all four of them. The Heat, the Suns, oh, the, last the Bucks, two years. and the Lakers. Ah, ah, I see, I see. Okay. So, I think at their peaks... Woo! All right, I'm going to go from bottom to the top. I think the Phoenix Suns are the, the worst team of the four. I think the Heat would beat them in a series. I like the Heat's matchup. I trust Jimmy Butler more than I trust other guys, especially with how he was playing. I mean, really, the only guy on the planet that out that was able to outplay Jimmy Butler was LeBron, and they were right up next to each other, and Jimmy may have outplayed him. But, I mean, if Jimmy Butler played like that, the Heat would have won in five. I just don't see that. I The Bucks started slow pretty much every playoffs, every playoff series. So the Suns are four for me. The Heat are three. Even though the Heat stort, just scorched the Bucks, I still think that Bucks team, the Bucks team this year, would have beaten the Heat. And one and two is really tough because I think that Giannis would have schooled LeBron. I don't think that matchup, that's an awful matchup for LeBron. The Lakers were built on their length and defense, and that's what the Bucks have. But... I'll stick with the Lakers because I think that there's wow. a I think there's a LeBron intimidation factor that would have made Chris Middleton choke more because LeBron would have been on him, would have played solid defense and clutched up. Anthony Davis is the best matchup you can throw on Giannis, maybe of any player in the league. And yeah, I think it'd be really close, but I'm gonna stick with the Lakers in seven. That's fair. I I think I have the same order, but I would flip the Bucks and the Lakers. And that's I, fair. It's it's tough. You know, the special thing about the Bucks team this year is they c- did not have to perform well on offense to dominate you. And mm-hmm. the Lakers had a similarly good defense last year, but that was less suffocating, mostly because of Drew Holiday's on-ball pressure and the twin towers they have back there with Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez, and then their ability to switch it out with, with P.J. Tucker in there instead to switch everything. I just think this team was so versatile. And then on the flip side, Giannis played better than Jimmy Butler, LeBron, Devin Booker, all these guys that were putting up 40 pieces and triple doubles and everything in the finals. Giannis just had a better finals than all of them over the past two years. I just think the Bucs were freaking awesome this year. And every change they made just makes them better than the Lakers were last year to me despite how good LeBron and Anthony Davis were. I mean, remember, they did lose two games to a Heat team that was playing Myers-Leonard in rotation minutes. <laughs> they also saw probably the best Jimmy Butler will ever play in his career or even in any rec-level league because I don't even think he could do that again. So Correct. I don't know. You, you may very well be right. I may be delusional. I may... No, a lot past. of people would say the Lakers because no, of LeBron. I, I don't know if they... I, I think what really gets to me is that LeBron James on Chris Middleton and Anthony Davis on Giannis 
in my opinion, is a much better matchup than Jay Crowder slash Mikael Bridges on Middleton and Aiton on Giannis. And I think that right there can make all the difference in the world because the argument you made about the Bucs not needing to have a good offense and still score would be taken away if Giannis's dunks did not happen nearly as frequently. It's reasonable. Um, That's kind of where I'm coming from. Right. Okay. Do you have anything just looking back that you want to discuss? Just, just not looking back, looking forward on these teams. Okay. Um, like what, what's the one thing that the Suns and the Bucks should do in the off season to get ready for next year? And kind of, how do you think that's going to actually impact their teams going into next year and how that'll play out next year? I have an unrealistic one and a realistic one for the Bucks. The unrealistic one is going to be disliked by a lot of people. But for me, it would be flip Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez for something better, someone that can shoot. Because for as good as Drew was in various games in the playoffs, he had some serious like issues in other ones where he was making bad decisions, taking bad shots, taking too many shots. And with Giannis and Middleton being a catch-and-shoot guy, What they really need to open up everything and be a dynasty for me is a guy who can come in and just take off the dribble threes and pull up in the mid-range in the pick and roll and do all of the stuff that modern NBA offenses are run on because then you're not going to have the same offensive lulls that you have been over the past four years. And to be completely honest, I think if this team saw the fully healthy Nets next year, Not to take anything away from this year, right? I'm not saying if they were healthy this year, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying next year, if the Nets are fully healthy, I think the Nets beat them in five. So they need to make a a change to their team while their assets have value and try to flip Drew and Brooke Lopez for, I don't know, CJ McCollum, like, uh, you know, that, that type of player. Maybe you don't get the best player you can possibly get, but you get somebody who fits better. Do you have any Bucks changes? I just, I wouldn't change their top three guys. And you, even if they did, I don't, I don't know how that would happen. I, I really think the Nets are going to kick their ass either way. Oh yeah. Because, but Wait. I, what I would say is, is yeah, I agree with the Brooke Lopez theory. Get rid yeah, of him. That was my and, second realistic option. I just wanted to yeah. throw that in there. It's just Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Brooke Lopez. And then, Peter Tucker, seven mil. I think you can probably get him for a minimum salary to re-sign, knowing that he just won. Bobby Portis, he'll probably decline his player. You'll pay him a little bit more. But you just got to try to bring in a more reliable shooter or two to surround Giannis. You saw when he hit shots in the finals, when he passed, not him, but when he passed the ball to Pat Connaughton, who hit threes in the finals, I would see Giannis run back with a fist pump, closing his eyes, praying up there that he was he was so grateful that Pat Connaughton was able to hit a shot that he didn't really expect to go in. That so he needs guys that he knows yeah. can hit shots. And let's that's not forget really... Divincenzo too, because that was a big right. injury. But I mean, I they need a Bryn Forbes who's not going to turn off. I mean, there aren't many guys like that. That's pretty much Duncan Robinson, Joe Harris. Although Joe Harris turned off too this these playoffs. I mean, like they those kind of guys. How about and, this? I'm, I'm going to throw out easy. a name. How about this? Wayne Ellington? Yeah, no, that's a great one. Sure. So they need to bring in a guy like that or two that can really space the floor and be a threat consistently. That's my realistic build. For the Suns, you know, I'm going to go with the bold one. I I know it's up to Chris Paul, but I I think you kind of push him out the door and say, go join up with LeBron, and I I think you see what guys you can bring in and, and really test the waters with your young guys and see what you can do. Because just like the Heat did last year, just like I think the Hawks will do next year, some of these teams that maybe overperform a little bit in the playoffs tend to take a step back. And, and if that happens with Chris Paul, you're really just wasting a year. I completely agree with that. They should let Chris Paul walk and try to get either a few good extra role players or try to trade some picks and Mikhail for a star. They just, I don't know. What if you traded eight and plus stuff for Embiid? I don't something like that, like Mikhail plus stuff for. <sighs> I mean, it's too bad Middleton just won the chip because he'd be perfect there. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine he gets sent out to? Oh my god! You know what I mean though. Like either get 
a dominant center to put next to Booker, like even better than Aiton, like an MVP caliber guy like Embiid, or flip McHale plus stuff for a guy that McHale will be in five years or something. And the unrealistic one is to go all out and convince Kawhi Leonard to pull a Kevin Durant. To the Suns? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not California, it'd be, it'd be my a, friend. It'd be a great team, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. But, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, hey, as as they said on air, Charles Barkley lives in Phoenix, drives to California. Kawhi Leonard can live in Phoenix and that's drive reasonable. to California. But, <laughs> yeah, right. No, they, they should, they should, they got to see what they have. Like, before they pay Mikhail Bridges $25 million, which is probably what he will demand, they have to see what he can do as a secondary score. And if you can't do it, you know you can't pay him that. All right, let's hit this mailbag, and then let's get out of here. So, Charles at SCK8182 asks, going forward as a Sixers fan, what hope do I have? Woo! Charles, Charles, Charles. None. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) so, So, I've talked with Landon a lot about what I think an ideal offseason for the Sixers looks like, and maybe you won't be happy with this, but I'm going to propose my complicated three-team trade that I think would help all teams. But to give a brief answer before I go into that, there's a lot of talent on the Sixers, and they can, they're can they one or two moves away from putting themselves in a position where they can make a finals run. We just saw the Bucks do it when I didn't think it was going to happen, Landon didn't think it was going to happen, the Heat made it last year. It's very possible for the Sixers to sneak in. They almost made it in 2019. So they're pretty close. But... As a lot of people have said, the Embiid-Simmons pairing is a little bit scary, especially when Ben Simmons isn't even trying to take layups. So, the 76ers, if they did a sign-in trade with the Toronto Raptors, who already probably expect Kyle Lowry to leave, you trade Ben Simmons, who has much more value, but you send him out to Toronto, you get back Kyle Lowry in a first-round pick. Because otherwise, you can't sign Lowry on the salary cap, which is why you need to give up value. Then, then, well, I guess the rest of the part doesn't really pertain to them, but you're still going to listen. Then the Raptors and the Hawks do a little trade, and the Hawks say, you know what? We're going to get better by adding Pascal Siakam because Ben Simmons and Pascal Siakam together is a disaster. Then the Hawks upgrade by trading DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Danilo Gallinari, and a pick for Pascal Siakam to give Ben Simmons in Toronto a fighting chance with a bunch of defenders and three-point shooters, to give the Hawks a secondary scorer that they can trust in Pascal Siakam, and then to give your Philadelphia 76ers a big three of Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and a shooter and defender in Kyle Lowry. Now, I think the trade is interesting. I think it's realistic in the sense that one of those moves could happen. You know, three team trades like that with stars flying around are so rare. But the ideas and the mechanics behind it make sense in terms of what the teams are getting and what they need. Um, But I think I'm starting to think this through. And look, Simmons probably should be the one to be traded by Philadelphia. Embiid is coming off of a ridiculous season and he put up monster numbers. He just looks like an all-around, you know, first-team All-NBA guy every year. Because of the injuries and because of the age, let's just think for a moment about trading Embiid. And I'm not saying they should. I would probably trade Simmons if I were them. But this, the Embiid Hall you could get back would be a far greater than Simmons, especially at the depreciated value he's at now. So if you're the Sixers, let's just say you wanted to restart your timeline and get out of the Embiid timeline and push it to the Simmons timeline. Let's say you're Doc Rivers and you tell you know Daryl Morey, yeah, Ben has improved a ton this offseason. Let's keep him and build around him. What if you flip them bead for like a star that could shoot like, I don't know, Paul George kind of player or something and a bunch of picks. And then you just had a ton of ammo to go out and trade, you know, four first round picks for another guy. 
and build around Simmons. Given Embiid's injury history and the probability that as a seven-footer, he's probably not going to play late into his 30s, might not be as crazy as you would think, especially if Embiid is dissatisfied with the organization and the way they've handled things, losing Butler and all that stuff. Who knows? I, it's just a possibility, but it could make sense from a franchise perspective. I think that trading Embiid clearly pushes back their timeline, which I'm sure you'd agree with. Yep. And given the rest of the roster and who their head coaches, I don't know if that's the right move. I don't think that fits the Tobias Harris timeline. It does. Danny Green, nope. who's going to leave. Correct. George Hill, Seth Curry, they're it, over 30. This so is it's a pretty much rebuilding. Yeah. And it's not crazy. I, I think that's more unrealistic. And, you know, we, we both a year or two ago said trade Embiid, keep Simmons. And now I've completely flipped. I, I don't think you can justify so trying to build course, around Simmons. Of course you flipped. Why wouldn't you flip? One just had an extraordinarily underwhelming season. And the other had an extraordinary, you know, perhaps overperforming season where he stayed healthy and, you know, destroyed everybody in the regular season. What I'm saying is, what if you play the odds and you're like, hmm, Simmons underperformed. That means his values depreciated and B just overperformed. That means his values inflated. We know Simmons is going to, you know, regress to the mean in a positive way. So what if we kept him and then traded Embiid for a mother load of things? It's just a possibility, but it's interesting. I, I kind of like it if I'm the Sixers, based on the injury history of Embiid. To me, I think you can do that with role players. I don't think you can make that decision based on a projection with stars. That's my last word on it. Yeah. Never I, have it. It's gambling, basically. It is. But- it you is know. high stakes gambling. Yep, exactly. Um, all right. That was just a thought. Let's move on to the next question. So underdog Clippers 2021 to 2022, AKA at Ritka one burner asks if Kawhi came back and the Clippers were a top six seed in the West, what chance do you give the Clips to win the chip? I'm assuming he means next year. So what can the Clippers do? Let's say Kawhi's healthy midseason, and let's say they get the sixth seed. What percent chance do you give them to win the title? Five. 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 No more. I'm being generous. That I'm is done generous. with this team. I'm done with this team. I'm done believing that they're going to make a splash because their veteran playing quotes can carry them there. I don't trust Kawhi Leonard as a leader. He's still a top five player. I don't trust him as a leader, though. I don't trust him to be able to carry a team anymore, and especially with the injury concerns, he'll probably be out most of the year. I particularly don't trust Paul George to step up when it matters, and and frankly, I don't think the role players are that good anymore. So, you know, I flipped on the Clippers. I'm not going back. I promise I'm not going to flip again. I don't care if they go 70-12 and next year. Unless they make big moves, they're not winning. Yeah, I think I agree. While Paul George played really well this year, I don't like the roster construction of that team. You know what? Serge Ibaka was hurt, and Serge Ibaka would have made a big difference this year. Kawhi, you know, if Kawhi gets injured either way, it doesn't matter, and they would not have won the chip without Kawhi. But I will say... With Serge Ibaka in there protecting the rim and shooting threes, I think that's an underrated piece that's already on their team that could make a huge difference because then they don't have to play those small ball lineups with Terrence Mann. As effective as they were, Terrence Mann at center, excuse me, as effective as they were, that's not sustainable. And I think having a stretch big that you know is a champion and a veteran like Ibaka could go a long way. I'm going to give them, you know, like giving percentages is hard. I'd have to go through and break down everybody's, every team's percentage and think about it. But I'd give them a low percentage chance right now because Kawhi's going to be coming off of an injury and Paul George, I still don't trust. Um, but I really do like Ibaka coming back. So we'll see. 
See, I'm not falling into the trap. I'm not falling into the trap. Last year, we talked about, you know, adding Rajon Rondo in a true facilitating point guard is something the Clippers are missing. It's going to help them get over the the hump. They're going to be able to do it because now they have an amazing passer who comes up clutch. You trade for Luke Kennard. He'll space the floor. It doesn't matter what changes they make to role players. I just, I don't trust Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to carry their team to the finals even. And okay, much less to win it. Can we just think about the fact that there weren't any juggernauts in the finals this year and that the Clippers with Kawhi healthy would have had the best player that we thought up until Giannis just went on this crazy finals run. Like Kawhi, we always thought Kawhi was better than Giannis. Um, Look, that's, that's they could have won this championship if Kawhi had not gotten hurt. So given Kawhi's status as a top three playoff performer in the league, right next to LeBron and Durant, and I mean sustained, so Giannis doesn't count yet. Um, they had a great chance at this one if he doesn't go down. So, yes, it stings, but it's not like they lost another even series this year. We don't know what they can be. Yeah, but the the West is only getting better. There were a lot of injuries in the West, and yes, they can happen again, but... No, it's not. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> All right. No. Um, Next. The, we have two from one more guy, and then we're going to close it out for the night. So, Luca in parentheses, Bucks, a.k.a. at a Luca NB says, can you discuss the concept of if all chips are made equal? This is a very theoretical question. Ooh. Would you like to take this one first? I'd love to. So the way I think about it is that, yes, all chips are made equal, but they are not perceived equally by fans, by the public, by the media, and rightfully so. And by that, I mean, while they will be held in the record books as the same, and while if you were looking at a piece of paper and you had never watched basketball or knew anything about basketball before, you would look at it and be like, oh, Giannis's championship and Kevin Durant's championship both happened and they're weighted the same. Somebody who witnessed it, witnessed both and understands NBA history and the surroundings would know that Kevin Durant joined a fully-fledged championship team, and Giannis could have done the same thing and instead decided to strap on his boots and get down and work it out with Middleton, with Bud, with Drew Holiday, who they brought in, and just put the work in. And what we know is that while they may seem the same, this championship means more in the hearts and minds of people across the world because it represents what we want to be as humans, which is hardworking, persevering kinds of people that Kevin Durant did not exhibit when he joined <laughs> the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Kevin Durant is not. <laughs> so that, um, that's my take on it. I, I, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. I'll word it a little bit differently. Um, the championships matter the exact same to the fan bases, to the franchises as a whole, owners, coaches, and teams, but they are incredibly different when you are trying to compare players' careers to one another. So the Warriors in 2015, when they won that championship, while fans may say it was a better feeling. It's the same accomplishment, of course, and and really result of an organization coming together to achieve greatness as it was when they had Kevin Durant. I don't value one ring over another. As a Heat fan, I don't value 06 over 12 or over 13. I just don't. But when Agreed. you try to compare a player like Kevin Durant to a player like Giannis, I mean, duh, Giannis's title is is going to weigh more than Kevin Durant's when he's on the Warriors. Of course it is, because Kevin Durant's team was better. He should have won. He did what he had to do, but he didn't overperform to come back from a 2-0 deficit like Giannis did on a team that really is not a super team. 
It's a team built from within. They made one trade to get Drew Holiday, who really is a tier three or four player. He's not even a tier two player. And Giannis completely took over, statistically was amazing. And when you're comparing Giannis to Kevin Durant one day as who is the greater player, when you specifically look at that one ring, of course it's going, that one ring for Giannis may very well count as two of Kevin Durant's, may count as more. However you want to perceive it, it's not a direct one-to-one comparison like it is when comparing how an organization came together to win a ring. I think a good example of this which is actually pretty much the exact same as Giannis is the 06 heat with Dwayne Wade. That's one where like people always say 06 Wade, he did it by himself. And if you compare him to other guys, he, you know, who did it on super teams. If you compare him to Paul Pierce, who won in 08 with Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, you look at that heat team and it was like Shaq putting up 16 points per game in the finals. And then, some other good role players and it was just D Wade putting up 40 consistently and winning four straight after going down 2-0. So pretty much the exact same thing we just witnessed. You look at that and it's hard to dispute that that championship for that guy, like you're saying, doesn't mean more than one where they join up with two other elite players and they all contribute a great level, but it doesn't compensate for the fact that they had to come together in order to reach that peak. Another one is 11 Dirk. I mean, these, these championships that people reference constantly for these specific players elevate you all time on that list. They put you in discussions when you're talking about the best finals performances of all time. Those are the kinds of chips that just mean everything to NBA fans. Definitely. And looking at LeBron, like LeBron's back-to-back wins in the Heat were incredibly impressive, boosted his career. He was the best player, but his legacy-defining championship was Cleveland. And it was because he had to overcome greatness. And even though the Cavs technically, you want to say they're a super team, I mean, look, look what they played against. They played against a better team. He faced adversity. Um, He overcame it, unlike he really did in that first heat year. Of course, the Ray Allen shot's different, but it just meant more. So so there's just some rings that mean more to players' careers specifically, but as an organization, what a team has to do to win a championship, as we saw with the Bucs, is everybody needs to do their part and come together. And for me, no matter if it's a ultimate super team or your team is somehow exceeding expectations and they somehow win, it's the same. All right. Final question from the same guy, Luca parentheses Bucks. And Bucks hatred of Budenholzer. Should it change now? That's kind of a Yoda phrasing of it, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um I would say that it should not change in the sense that I don't think Bud is a top, you know, 10 NBA coach. He's had too many failures and screwed up too many times. And even this play, these playoffs, he kind of failed them in multiple games. Did they win? Yes, but it was on the back of Giannis and the clutchness of Chris Middleton and the defense of Drew Holiday, and less so about Bud's coaching. Is it good that he decided to start switching this year? Yes, but he should have been doing that the whole time. So should we really give him credit for that? Probably not. I would say you can't be mad at him anymore. And like just a wholly looking at what he's done for the Bucks because a championship is everything, especially when your franchise hasn't won one in 50 years. But you should not think that because he won a championship, he will not screw up majorly in the coming years because he will. I can guarantee that. Save for some time, he is. That was my Yoda. That was terrible. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm not very good I thought at it. You're being like a that. dark wizard or something. Shave for some time. I I can't do it, man. I'm you just, sound like I, that's not my voice. More so. I'm an Yoda. I'm an Elmo. Uh, what else do I do? Pinocchio. It's kind of weird. You know, I, I wanted to. You know, hopefully somebody <laughs> somebody laughs at that out there. You know, whatever. I mean, uh, I did. No. <laughs> Great. You're not you're not <laughs> laughing with me. You were you were laughing at me. That's true. Coach Bud is is safe. I I gave a magic number of I say a magic number of eight years, but. Really, it's a long time because it doesn't matter whether Coach Bud drew up the game-winning play or did absolutely nothing. 
He is now safe for a while. He has tenure. He won an NBA championship, especially with a franchise that hasn't won one in 50 years. Here is a prime example of a coach that gained tremendous credibility, regardless of if they did something or if they did nothing. That's Tyron Lue. Okay. I have no clue if Tyron Lue knows how to coach a little league basketball team, a a eight to 10 year old youth team. I have no clue, but because he won in 2016, he got hired as the Clippers head coach. Okay. That's the perfect example. Once you win a title as a coach, you gain the utmost credibility and you are safe with an organization for a long time. Can I just say that Ty Lue actually completely goes against your eight year rule? He got fired two years later. Well, that's because LeBron left. If Giannis leaves, then, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. That that was my point earlier. I feel like it's not a specified time. It's like they can ride out that dynasty, and then if they continue to perform well, then they get the chance at, like, the next dynasty. Or I shouldn't say dynasty. Like, that next iteration of the team. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You, you want to say that, – that's fine. I'll, I'll agree with that. You want to say that uh, Giannis, Giannis uh, whatever. I mean, Giannis leaves in four years, and – uh, ownership isn't steady with the coaching. There's some issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's sure. what that's what I was saying that's earlier. That's fine. Yeah. But it's not like Coach Bud. If the Bucks go 15 and 67 the next three years, he's not getting fired if the team stays together. He's just not. I mean, that, I, I think, yeah, but I think that, that he has like a five year window, six year window at that point where he has to right. be god awful. So he is very very safe. He's probably in the top three or four coaches right now that will not get fired going into next year along with Spo, Steve Kerr. I mean, those types of guys. There's probably True. a few more. Yeah, yeah. Pop. Like, those guys aren't getting fired. And Coach Bud now is in that category where he is ultimately safe regardless of what happens unless there is some real legal issue that comes out with him in the coming years. I agree. Um, That's that. All right. So, Bucks fans, Relax. I don't care if Bud completely ruins a playoff run next year. He's going to be there for quite some time now. So. <laughs> all right. I think we're wrapped up with the mailbag and all of our Ooh. finals discussion. You had one last towel boy take of the day, correct? Of course. I'm going to propose that we make our way, way, way too early NBA finals matchup predictions going into next year. Um, so I will start. Well, Let's let's get this out of the way. Let's both do our Eastern Conference one at the same time. All right. You start. The Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Yeah. Nets. I was trying to time it. You know, you just didn't. You didn't I, I didn't realize. Me. Next time I got you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Trying <laughs> to make me look bad. But yeah, Sorry. the Brooklyn Nets healthy. We said it this year. We're going to say it next year. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we were spot on about the Nets. We said as long as two of them play. They're going to make it. And only one of them played, and they almost made it. So definitely if one of the other ones played, the Nets would have won the championship. But And Harden Harden doesn't count as playing, by the way, if anybody wants to use that. And then was a cripple. (laughs) He looked like us out there. So (laughs) So true. (laughs) uh, Yeah, the Nets are going to take the East, assuming they're somewhat healthy. Um, Yep. Western Conference, I, you know, this time I'm sticking with it. I've switched around a couple times. I'm just sticking with my heart. I'm not going to change it all year. The Golden State Warriors are back, and they're going to the NBA Finals. Wow. That's that. That's crazy, man. I mean, it's like, happening. I, I respect the pick, and you've always been a Warriors guy more so than me. It's not that I didn't think they were good, because obviously they're one of the best teams ever. It's just that I never thought that that team in 15-16 or sorry, 14-15 when they won that title, was that level of dominant, I guess, in the sense that the Cavs were out of their two of their three best players and they still took two games off of them, because obviously because of LeBron. But just the point that I didn't think without KD that they were transcended in that same way. Steph was and Clay was, but as just a whole unit, they weren't better or they weren't that much better than LeBron with a bunch of role players. Still a very good team, still an elite team, still won the finals, but that's the team that they're faced with today, essentially with a worse bench and they're, you know, five, seven, six, seven years older now. 
can't do math right now, but that's fine. It's just uh, a little, it's just a little risky to pick them. Obviously you're not putting money on oh, it's, it. But... It's definitely risky to pick them. And I would love to put money on it. And here's why Steph Curry it, last then. year was as best as he's been ever. I don't care about the fact that he didn't win an MVP. I mean, he was right up there with his best year. Clay Thompson, if he is half of himself, is still a top five player on their team and is still going to be an amazing shooter. And frankly, I think he's going to come back and be really good. Draymond Green steps up when his team needs him and when the Warriors are good. They still have a top five coach. And Andrew Wiggins is better than Harrison Barnes ever was. So he's better I disagree than that 15th... with that. I oh, don't I do. Agree. I, I agree. Harrison Barnes was like a very reliable role player who like knew exactly what he was supposed to do and went out there every night and did it. Andrew Wiggins is just a wild card. He has a higher high and a lower low than Harrison Barnes. Last year, Andrew Wiggins was a better defender, shot 38% from the field, or 38% from three, excuse me, 48% from the field, average 18 and a half. If he takes less shots and only takes more open shots because he doesn't need to create as much, He's a 40% three-point shooter, 50% from the field, playing elite defense. That's what I'm saying. Next year, he'll be better than Harrison Barnes was if Klay Thompson's healthy. And James Wiseman's a player they didn't have. I really like this team, as I've talked about. Won't go into the details. I think their bench is more promised than people people see. And yeah, they're my finals pick. I trust Steph Curry to get it done. All right. That would be an elite legacy move on Steph's part, and that would propel him definitively past Kevin Durant all time in my opinion probably eh, he'd be close with Hakeem like it's that Durant Hakeem Steph layer before you hit Shaq and Kobe and all those guys and and that would probably push him to the front of that but probably not ahead any further it'd still be be a big move it'd be tough if he especially if he plays Kevin Durant and then loses to say that his year was better because, of course, he didn't win and he lost to Durant. So, I mean, who knows how that plays out. But, I mean, I, I think Kevin Durant's getting ring number three. Three, right? Yeah, three this year. Agreed. So, go ahead. What's your pick? So, I have a contingency in my pick, unfortunately. And that is if Jamal Murray makes a full recovery and if he plays enough before the playoffs to get back to – form i would pick the nuggets heading into the playoffs next season because they have an mvp they have the second star who we know can hit big shots when it counts and is a on ball player so he can you know get those pull-up threes that the bucks were so sorely lacking in the playoffs despite middleton hitting all those you know catch and shoot game winners they have Aaron Gordon, who I think they'll have on the roster next year. I He had a very underwhelming playoffs this year, but it's hard to be good when your guards are Austin Rivers and Monty Morris as, as a role man who catches lobs. So I don't really blame him for this year. And then the last guy I'll comment on is Michael Porter Jr., who obviously has a ton of potential, is only going to get better has a long off season to work on his game and hopefully can come back next year as a better defender. So uh, they just have so much promise. Jokic is still young. Murray's still young. I-, I just feel like they have a championship in them in the next few years. I like it. I like the Denver Nuggets team. We've talked about it. I love Jokic. And yeah, I, look, if, if the things you say happen, MPJ takes that step up, Aaron Gordon plays better. They have a shot, but what's your non-Jamal Murray pick? Unless so you said that and I let's just it. say Jamal Murray, let's pretend he was out for the whole year. If Jamal Murray was out for the whole year, the Nuggets get smoked really badly by some team. Maybe it's the Suns again in four or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I would have to go with the Lakers there. And it's that's a risky pick too, because we don't, know what to make of the Lakers after they win a championship and then got burnt by a team that many people thought was inferior to them in the Suns obviously went on to the finals but that team has LeBron James and Anthony Davis two top I don't know 13 15 players now I don't know where we're gonna rank AD to start next season but 
we don't know if they can hit that bubble peak again. And their role players have kind of fizzled out. KCP, Kuzma, Caruso, they didn't have the same flash to them as they did the year before. So they need to get a DeRozan or a Chris Paul or somebody to come in and spice it up, get some on-ball action so that LeBron can rest throughout the regular season and while he's on the bench. And they just have stuff to add, but I think I would pick them if Murray was hurt. My final comment of the day, I love LeBron James, but I would I would die to see Russell Westbrook join the Lakers and so the bad. Lakers just colossally collapse and fail in the playoffs because the one guy who you don't want taking volume three is more than LeBron is Russell Westbrook who would do it. And they would, their shooting would be awful. Who knows who would pass the ball more LeBron or Westbrook. It would just be so bad. I really can't see that working. And the expectations would be championship or bust easily. And they would not get there. Wow. That's harsh, but it is harsh. I completely agree because Westbrook with, LeBron is potentially the worst star pairing I could possibly it's imagine. Really bad. It, you're putting, that's like you're putting a guy on ball to force LeBron off ball because Westbrook can't play off ball, and that essentially just makes LeBron's playmaking so much less than what it should be. Because yeah, we yeah, go ahead. I say we literally saw it with with Westbrook and Harden, and Harden's a much better Correct. shooter and scorer than LeBron. But when Westbrook and Harden grouped up, they were all they were both great when the other one was out, but when they were together, like they, they weren't gonna do anything. Right. And it would be I'd say this would be as bad of a pairing as I said earlier with Pascal Siakam and Ben Simmons. That that's how bad it would be. The it fit. Very the well fit. could be. I mean it's it's similarly terrible, just with better players. So Right. That's all I have. Landon? I'm good. You good? Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to those Twitter folks for shouting us out and telling us what they wanted to talk about. We want that more and more. We want you guys, all the listeners, to stay active. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want us to talk about so we can make these podcasts as interesting as possible. As always, check out our Twitter, our Instagram. Stay tuned for more podcasts coming out. It's the NBA offseason. That means we got trade talks coming up. We got free agent signings and a whole lot of early predictions that will probably go horribly horribly wrong always remember to embrace your inner towel boy